Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. I work in an amusement park where only half of the actors are actual actors. Since I touched on the one not-actor from the western section, who left a lasting impression in my last video, I think I should introduce the other monster from Twinvale Point, if you could even call it a monster. However, I need to get some things out of the way regarding the pretender's origins before I get started. None of us actors know where they come from or what they are. All of them have been here long before any of us started working our current jobs. Then again, Nathan might know something. He is the other actor from Twinvale Point, but I'll get to that in a second. The not-actors come in all shapes and sizes, literally. Sure, most of them share some common traits. For example, only two of them can talk, and they are extremely restricted in their ability to do so. The other not-actor from the Wild West town can barely be described as a single living being at all. It's an old western stagecoach, pulled by two large, beautiful chestnut stallions. The stagecoach itself does not have a coachman. That's where Nathan comes in. Nathan is the actor assigned to the stagecoach. He is the one who steers it. He sits on his coach seat all day, wrapped in an old, ragged blanket. He doesn't talk much. In fact, the only times I've ever really spoken to him, we just exchanged quick readings. Our interactions never went anywhere past a very awkward introduction. He offered me a dead fish handshake and we just stared at each other for a little while, with none of us knowing how to start a conversation. And that was it. For all I know, he never leaves his coach seat either. Sure, he probably goes home sometime in the evening, but I've never seen him leave. If Mitchell hadn't told me he was an actor, I'd probably think he was a pretender himself. He's sort of creepy, too. I sometimes wonder if maybe the stagecoach has turned him into a part of itself, if he might be a pretender. The stagecoach only really starts getting weird at nighttime. During the day, Nathan just drives it around Twinvale Point, much to the amusement of our visitors. The horses act really friendly around them, too. However, as soon as sun sets, they... change. The horses go from docile and gentle to raging and furious. Their eyes start to glow with a blinding white light, making them look alien and eerie. I've seen them buck and even wildly chase through the different parts of the park, pulling the stagecoach along with them, as if it had no weight whatsoever. Therefore, it is Nathan's task to take the horses to their fenced meadow in the back of the park, come nightfall, where they cannot be seen or reached by visitors. According to Mitchell, who apparently learned a lot about Nathan's strange occupation from working alongside him, the chestnuts refuse to be separated from their stagecoach. Whenever someone tries to take off their harnesses, they start going completely berserk. They'll buck and kick and neigh as if they were being slaughtered. Like I already said, Nathan and I don't talk much meaning that my contact with the stagecoach is also highly limited. So most of the time, I only spot it in its normal, peaceful state. 
I've touched on this in my previous video, but I really love Twinvale Point for its dry, old-timey charm. I'm a big fan of Wild West movies too. I've caught myself a couple of times sneaking after the stagecoach in hopes of seeing it do its magic, but my curiosity was never rewarded. Instead, the only times I've actually witnessed the horses act up were when I was unprepared and busy, and therefore couldn't really enjoy it. I feel bad for liking to watch the stagecoach turn weird, but the few times I've seen it were insanely impressive. It really did look like something out of a movie. I didn't want to come back to the laughing cowboy, but in regards to the stagecoach, I guess I have to. I have noticed his tendency to, in lack of a better term, mess around on it. One time, I saw him standing atop its roof. There were a bunch of visitors standing below him, taking pictures and hollering. There was a little boy amidst the crowd who seemed to be really into the stagecoach, and the cowboy actually bent down and lifted him up so he could stand on top of the carriage with him. I remember the kid being insanely happy about it, clapping and squealing like crazy. I must admit, the scene was a bit heartwarming. Other times, the cowboy will just lay or sit down on top of the roof and ride around with Nathan. Of course, the latter can't be bothered with that, although I have seen him try to shoo him off by occasionally making use of his horsewhip, only to provoke signature fits of laughter from his unwanted passenger. My disadvantage in this is that the cowboy in turn appears to have noticed my own tendency to follow the stagecoach around, resulting in him staring at me from atop its roof with a wide smile on his face. I can't stand his gaze for long, so whenever he's around the carriage, I make it a point not to get too close to it. Speaking of things I cannot stand, I simply have to mention the other not-actor from the candy section. While this sugar plum fairy is scary enough as she is, this one doesn't really have to get aggressive to make me run for it. Let me preface this by saying that I absolutely hate mimes. I don't know what it is, but I just don't like them. I don't think they're entertaining and their face paint just looks weird. Plus, their exaggerated motions and expressions are sort of unsettling to me, but it's not like I'm actually scared of them. However, if there is one mime worth being scared of, it's the one in the candy section of our amusement park. The actor assigned to him is Anne. She's a sweet, bubbly girl who I get along with splendidly. Her costume is a clown outfit, but it's really cute. Pink and frilly, not one of those, not one of those creepy ones you see in horror movies. The kids love her, and for some reason that is just absolutely beyond me. They also love the mime. He spends all day hopping around his part of the park, making balloon animals for the children, and handing out candy to them. However, not unlike the laughing cowboy, the mime has these days on which he's in a bit of a strange mood. Thankfully, one can determine what kind of state he's in just by looking at him. So all Anne really has to do is assess his behavior in the morning and then decide on whether to let him out to roam the park for the day. He's the only human-like pretender who sleeps in a sheltered cage instead of a trailer or something similarly comfortable. The mime shelter might have a bit of a prison cell look to it, but at least there's a roof above it and there's blankets and pillows and stuff. He is simply too dangerous on his bad days. It is very easy to tell when he's not fit to be let out. 
The first time I saw him like that was on a cool morning in early June. We were expecting a ton of visitors that day, so the other actors and I had decided we were going to use our walkie-talkies. I was in my and Darius's break room, the latter having not yet arrived, and in the process of dressing up when, to my surprise, the portable radio came crackling to life. Hi, anyone here already? Anne's cheerful voice came from the small device. I grinned. Hey, Anne. Glad I'm not the only one who's early, she replied. Hey, could you come over? I kind of need a second opinion here. Oh, trouble with the mime? I asked. Yeah, sort of. I'm not sure if I should let him out today. He seems fine, but I have a bad feeling about this. I can't explain why, but I'm really not sure. Well, okay then. Give me a minute. I'm heading over right away, I assured her. I was not fully dressed up yet, but I didn't want to keep Anne waiting. So I walked over to the candy section in my black, frilly monster hunter dress shirt and yoga pants, a combination that caused my coworker to laugh at me for about two minutes straight before finally getting to the point. She led me over to the mime's shed, which was hidden behind a row of booths. Looking through the bars of the cage, I found the mime standing in there, upright and perfectly still. He looked back at us with a thin smile. He was very quiet. I feel like he's messing with me, she explained in a low voice when we were out of earshot from the pretender again. He's never been so calm before. He's usually way more excited. Yeah, but come on. You really think he's, like, smart enough to try and deceive you? I asked. I always thought you two were on good terms. Yes, but I just can't say for sure this time. Do you think I should let him out? I frowned. We can't keep him in there if he's not acting up. I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong. I think it wouldn't be fair. I've never seen him be hostile before, but this really doesn't look too bad. Anne sighed. You're right. I guess I was just worrying too much again. She reached into her pocket and retrieved a small key, which she turned inside the door lock and then continued to unlatch the two additional deadbolts. She opened the door and the mime stepped outside. Hey, she greeted him. Sorry I kept you waiting. He didn't react. Instead, he sunk to his knees and threw his head back. Oh, crap. I could hear Anne mutter before he opened his mouth. A choking sound came from somewhere in his throat as his lips and then his jaws proceeded to part wider and wider. What he did next is nearly indescribable. Have you ever seen the ballet dance The Spider by Malina Sidorova? It's amazing as a performance, but when the mime dropped on all fours with the corners of his mouth stretched all the way to his ears and began to hiss at us, it was not quite as pretty. He was standing on the tips of his fingers and toes, his back bent at an unnatural angle. I cursed myself for having dressed up completely before leaving the break room. My whip might have served as a good means of defense. The mime scuttled past us at an alarming speed, and Anne and I exchanged quick, knowing glances before sprinting off after him. I can't actually believe he tricked me, Anne panted. She was a bit out of shape and unable to keep up with me for long. I'm sorry, I shouted as I passed her, continuing to pursue the not actor. The mime was incredibly fast. I found myself wheezing and gasping for air after about eight minutes of following him through the candy section. Eventually, I had to stop to catch my breath, and before I knew it, I had lost sight of him. I cursed. 
Suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a shadow vanish behind the stage where the sugar plum fairy always dances on. She had not been let out yet, so the stage itself was deserted, but I was certain I could hear the tapping of feet behind it. I made my way around its back, but he wasn't there. At least that's what I thought, before something wet and warm hit my head. I slowly looked up, to find the mime hovering over me. He was holding on to the stage's metal light fixture and staring down at me, his mouth still opened unnaturally wide. Drops of saliva were dripping from his tongue, which was hanging out from his maw. I stood frozen in horror for what felt like an eternity, not daring to break the stare of the pretender. I could feel my heart pounding wildly in my chest, and my hands beginning to tremble. The mime seemed to slowly, ever so slowly, lower himself towards the ground. Suddenly I saw something fly past me out of the corner of my eye and collide with the mime's head. The not actor let out a sharp hiss of pain, and I took a step back just in time as he had lost his grip on the light fixture and fell to the ground. I took my chance and threw myself on top of him to hold him in place and instantly began to yell for Anne to come to me. The thing that had caused the mime to fall was a small but heavy rock. I discovered it lying on the ground next to me while I was waiting for Anne to arrive, still holding the struggling pretender in place. To this day, I have no idea who had thrown that rock, but whoever it was probably spared me a lot of physical pain. I'm not sure if I would have stood a chance against the mime if it weren't for this short but effective distraction. Either way, I can only repeat that I am not fond of mimes whatsoever, and the one we have in our park sure isn't helping that. Also, Anne has agreed to never take my advice again. As you might expect, I kept apologizing to her for a long while after that incident. Lastly, I should probably mention that I talked to Maxine about the Sugar Plum Fairy's enclosure. She explained that the trailer she lives in is very secure, albeit old, and that it holds a bed for her to sleep in. Some of you suggested it might be helpful to give her a bigger space to stay in for the night, since all she seems to want to do is dance around, meaning that she would not be as opposed to returning into the trailer. To me and Maxine, this makes total sense, and it would also spare us a lot of trouble. We have decided to try and approach Dale about the issue, but I'm not sure any type of conversation with him will lead to positive results. I think I've said it before, but he's a douche. Still, trying doesn't hurt, and that's what we're going to do. I guess we'll just see how it goes. <laughs>